0: Solo. Luminous beings, so we, not this crude matter. We lost the transmission. Communications disruptions can mean only one thing.
1: This is Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast.
2: Welcome, everybody, to episode number 137 of the Jammed Transmissions podcast. I'm going to start off by saying happy Star Wars Day to everybody out there. It's been a while since I've said that because, you know, things have changed a little bit since I took over the show a year ago. um, It's an anniversary of sorts. um, And, you know, it's a big, it's a special day for Star Wars fans, May the 4th. This is like the unofficial, like, birthday almost of Star Wars, you know. And, And to think about the history of this whole thing and where we are now and what, how we talk about everything in podcasting and just how friendships grow internationally because of star Wars is a beautiful thing. Um, now if you've seen the show art, you know that there's something special going on with this episode. And if you've been with the show long enough, you know what happened a year ago with this show, um, as to when I, when I completely took it over, um, so my guest for today is the person who handed the reins off to me a year ago on May 4th of 2022. Um, friends, listeners out there, I am bringing on once again, one of the founders of Jammed Transmissions, my good friend, my space brother, my homie. It is Mr. Peter Viox. Pete, how the hell are you doing, man? It's been so long. Well, hello there. Hey man, it's good to see you, Rick. <laughs> How are you, brother? Man, I am so oh, my I'm gosh. so excited. I'm so excited that you uh that we talked about this a little bit to have you come on. But um yeah, man, I, I can I can see the happiness on your face. I can hear the excitement <laughs> in your voice. What's been going on with you, man?
1: Oh man, it's been a, it's been a great year, man. 365 days on the dot. I tell you what, we were last time I was here, it was actually the May the 4th episode, wasn't it? That that was mm-hmm. really funny, man. Uh things are great, man. Um I guess I can just go ahead and give a little bit of an update for anybody that uh hasn't heard from me since then. Actually, uh life is fantastic. Um, I switched careers. I was um miserable in a factory job for 12 years, um, having surgeries and stuff. And I just wanted a big change. Um, I was a severe alcoholic, um, back then. And actually when we recorded the last episode, uh, you and I together, um, I was just fresh out of rehab for alcoholism. And let me tell Mm -hmm. you, I'm just really proud to say, and, and, and share this with everybody. I'm over 14 months sober still. Um, life is just, I I just beyond blessed. I, I cannot complain in the least uh eden and i still kicking along living it up living the dream um but yeah i'm a phlebotomist now i'm a professional vampire i literally get (laughs) to stab people for a living like (laughs) so like that's cool you know uh but yeah man everything's good i mean i really can't complain still loving star wars just living the dream man how about you like we talk i know i know how you've been and you know how i've been through the last year but yeah man like what's new with you how are you doing
2: well first of all now for a little little inside baseball you know for for the time that pete hasn't been on the show we still talk you know somewhat regularly at least once every couple of weeks and um for listeners out there like i've known pete's journey with these life changes um and it was something that we talked about briefly last year we didn't really get too much in depth um But just to put it out publicly, Pete, I can, I just want to say like how immensely proud I am because I know how difficult things were for you Um, in that time, you know, a year and a half, almost two years ago now, when, when these changes were starting to happen um, and to be uh, a confidant, you know, somebody that I know that you leaned on from time to time. um, That's all I've ever wanted to be for you and how this friendship has developed. And that's what I talk about with Star Wars a lot is you know, it's the thing that brings us together, but it's not the thing that keeps us together from time, you know, as time goes on, we learn things about each other. We, we know, you know, we become friends and we, we, we grow a community and we become a family. Um, and you know, a lot of us, we talk about, you know, our brothers and sisters and, and all the non-binary folks out there that we call family. Um, but between, Uh, Me, you and uh, our best friends that are listening, Pete, you are, you are my brother and I'm happy for you and Eden that you guys have made it through uh, the other side of some difficult times. And I I can only say just how how proud I am of you um, to have seen things through, because I've seen a lot of people uh, go through struggles who weren't um, as successful and it's a battle. Um, It's a day-to-day thing. I know, Um, but as Qui-Gon said in master and apprentice, we make the choice um, to hit the light uh, every day, every waking moment of our life. And and you are there. Um, you're a symbol and you are an example for a lot of people. And I hope, you know, it's something that we had never shied away from on this show was the hashtag real talk. And I'm glad we started off with it um, because, you know, oh, yeah. we we never know what people are going through um, in their lives. And, no. and I hope that this show, uh, amongst other shows that people get into, can be um, an escape and a beacon for people to know that, um you know we're not alone in our struggles and that we have each other to lean on if if we need to and just to have some fun with this thing you know it doesn't have to all be um the real talk all the time but we're going to get into some of the fun stuff now as for me i you did ask i was that was a roundabout way to to get to answer your question things are good you know i've had some a tough a tough couple of weeks um just um you know it was like we had summer for like 5 days here in michigan And then it snowed again, and it's been kind of gray, and like it's been messing with uh, just kind of my own mental state because I want to be out and doing stuff, and it's been kind of like not great. But I did have a pick-me-up this past weekend, guys. Mm. Star Wars fans know that this year is the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. And for fans in the U.S., Return of the Jedi hit theaters um, this past Friday, I think fans in the UK are going to get it this following week or this week coming. I got to see it twice. Pete, don't tell anybody. I played hooky from work.
0: Oh, you um, lucky um, dog.
2: I, you know what? I'm going to edit that out. You guys aren't going to hear that. But, uh, no, nope, <laughs> I, I, I did get to see it twice. Um, I went, um, the, the, the time, the first time I went Friday it was just me. Um, I got like way emotional in the theater by myself. There was only maybe 10 people, 15 people in the theater. Um, and it was magical to be able to go back into that and experience that movie on the big screen. uh warts and all, the CGI warts and all um oh but, <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 second go around uh six thirty five this is one of those things that I'm never ever gonna forget. um making plans with some folks to meet up at the theater. um so it was myself and Cheryl and Isaac. Uh, we went and it was a, a kind of a mini podcaster meetup. It was myself, uh, Jason Gibner from blast points. Uh, who is nine and a half feet tall. The man's a wookie. Um, um, Lauren Romo and uh, Andrea Gutierrez from the galactic podcast uh, who are both wonderful people. I've been on the show and Lauren's been on with me. Uh, we talked about Andor last year, love them both. And uh, my friend and me, Jerry Cable from the from the Bombat cast drove all the way down from Holland, Michigan, which is about two and a half, three hours, depending on how you drive. And I told him um, he texted me along the way and I was like, hey, listen, why don't you just come through here? We'll have a drink at the house if you want. So I got to hang out with Jerry for uh, about an hour before making it over to the theater. And we all sat in that theater together. There was a mix up with um, the seats that Lauren had bought. Somebody was in their seats in the theater. Um, and it almost turned into, uh, a duel right there, the duel of the fates in the theater. Mm. I'm just kidding. But, you know, you can hear it with like the other people were saying, well, somebody took our seats. So we took these and it was like, yeah, but that doesn't make it right. Cause now you are in our seats and, uh, they got it settled before the movie started, which was good, but that whole experience and then getting to talk with them afterwards, we took some pictures. Um, it was, it was so reinvigorating like to like have this high, this moment, it's like, hug some friends, you know, be with some people, you know, geek out about things that we maybe hadn't noticed the first time around or, you know, all the viewings that we've, you know, sat for return of the Jedi. Um, it, the audience was great. It was a packed house. It was, it was, it was that kick in the ass that I needed to like really kind of uplift my mood. Cause things with work haven't been great. And like I said, the weather and working outside and some of these kind of, you know, not so great weather days and stuff. Um, I really needed it. And, and most importantly for me to be in a seat and have Isaac sitting next to me at 13 years old, watching this movie because he knows how mm. important this stuff is. And, and we've talked about it, Pete and longtime listeners know like how personal of a movie return of the Jedi is for me and the connections with my dad. Uh, you know, he passed a few months after the movie came out in 83. And I was talking with Jerry before, um, go into the theater and, you know, really got to lay it out, you know, that this movie is so cathartic for me because it's like the imagined forgiveness that I get to have face to face. Cause it's something that I didn't get to have with my dad. Um, and kind of hashing things out. Um, like this movie it's emotional because I get to see myself, in Luke and have that reconnection moment with this dad. And I, I've reconciled everything with how I felt with my dad's passing and all of that, you know, in, you know, subsequent years, but growing up return of the Jedi was, even if I wasn't aware of it at the time, it was me projecting myself onto Luke to be able to like, have those final moments with, you know, a father figure. Um, so to have Isaac in the theater next to me, kind of geeking out over stuff and like getting emotional a little bit with some of the stuff. Cause he knows how I feel about it. Uh, was really uh, was the icing on the, uh, was the icing on the cake. It was the yub nub to my personal journey, if you will. Um, <laughs> but now we talked a little bit, Pete, I asked you um, over the weekend and you said, unfortunately, Return of the Jedi is not in any of the theaters near you. Um, which, Kind of sucks. I, I feel bad um, that you haven't been. Not that you haven't seen the movie at home. Like you couldn't just turn around and say, Rick, let's stop recording. I'm going to watch it. But thinking about. I've, I've past- seen
1: I've seen Return of the Jedi a time or two. I yeah, have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah of course. No, I tell you what, man. Uh, I was I was actually really bummed. I'm happy for you, of course, that you got mm-hmm. to see it. But like you said, oh, I was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to check this out. Like see if it's in any of my theaters. And it was not anywhere near me in central Kentucky. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with that, but that's okay. I mean, like um last time I saw it in theaters was when did they do the uh special edition run in theaters? Was that 97, 98?
2: 97, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the last time I saw Return of the Jedi in the on the big screen. And it was amazing. I mean it's beautiful. Um I obviously love the movie. Um so as far as like the CGI effects, you were talking about the warts and all, I mean, were the, were the Ewoks blinking?
2: Yes. Uh, Wicked was blinking that, you know what, that of all the changes that the movie made, that might be the least of my concerns with it. And, and I get it. It, It's like, it's the nostalgia thing of like you, you remember seeing it a certain way and it is a little off putting. Don't get me wrong, but I would much rather have, walks blinking, then seeing the back of Zhao Yowza's mouth. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to see <laughs> all the way in there. <laughs> no, I feel you, man.
1: No, I feel you. I, I, Return of the Jedi had such great vibes for me. It's so cool to think about it because I remember um, through the celebrations that I was able to go to, different movies had their 40th anniversaries. And then also, um, I think I was there for the original 40th anniversary and then the 20th anniversary of episode one which Mm. that was in chicago um but return of the jedi was just so important to me as somebody that was i consider myself an original trilogy kid but i was born in the 80s so i didn't see it in theater but you know my closest brother who's about 10 years older than me um i basically got to relive uh his childhood through like hand-me-down stuff all the toys and stuff and
0: Mm um
1: So, Return of the Jedi is incredible. And it's just amazing to see that it's been 40 years already and that it's getting the theater treatment. Although, you know, there's a few more theaters in central Kentucky I'm sure we could have filled.
2: Yeah. You know, considering I'm going to throw a little shade at you, Pete. I'm going to throw a little shade at you. Listen, if a scumbag like Jerry Cable can drive two and a half hours to come see this theater near me, you could find a theater a little close to you. I'm not saying you got to drop all the way up to Michigan, but you can, you could drive a little ways if you got the time. Um, to I, go I could, see, you know, to I, I
1: totally could see it. I will go ahead and just bounce back by saying return. Of the Jedi isn't my favorite star Wars movie either. So I don't know if it's worth a three hour drive.
2: <laughs> well, guys, listen, it was nice. Uh, episode uh, 137. I'll see you next I time. No. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it.
1: No, I tell you what, man, I understand. Um, but yeah, you, I work on the weekends as well when I got the message. Yeah, I I literally couldn't do it. But I mean, had it been down the street, I would have definitely made the time for it.
2: Yeah, no, I I know that, man. And and the thing is, like, even everybody has their favorites, their least favorites. And and even if, you know, if Attack of the Clones was playing down the street, guess what? My ass is going to be there to watch it because it's a Star Wars movie and nothing beats the on-screen, the big screen experience. And I mean, we've been lucky enough here to have had rogue one last year and then this i mean two star wars movies six seven months apart in a theater as re-releases like mm. that's a pretty that's a pretty uh a pretty cool thing um to have happened and honestly two of my favorite of of the saga you know i have to have rogue one and on an imax screen that's what it was last year and then it's just on the regular screen sick sick yeah man it was um it was something else. And like I said, to be there with, um, with Isaac. Oh, funny moment. So Cheryl has not seen any of these movies in the theater to my recollection. I think even, you know, she's not, she's like, she's on the periphery as far as fandom goes. She's a fan because I'm a fan. Um, and I'm just cause I make her, but, um, <laughs> but so I, you know, I asked her if she wanted to go, I said, you, you don't have to, you know, there's going to be, it's going to be a meetup. There's going to be some other friends there. So like, if you, I, I totally understand if you just want to have the evening to yourself. And she was like, nah, I'll come with. So, you know, we've seen the movies at home in 2019. We watched a movie a month leading up to, um, the rise of Skywalker, including the clone wars, animated movie, uh, to make 12 movies for the year. And sitting in the theater when Jedi rocks starts, um, (laughs) just like the initial she like she was sitting on the, on the opposite side of Isaac. she just leaned forward and looked at me across the seats, like what is this
1: I could just she, picture it you didn't even have to say it and I knew that look was coming that's hilarious
2: she, she kept looking at me every time like either like the back of Joe Yow's mouth or you know size noodles lips coming up on the screen like whatever it was um, the little like Boba Fett, you know, tin chap, uh, a chin tap to the one. Uh, like, oh my god, it was so. <laughs> she didn't have to say a word. All she did was turn to look at me. I was la- I was laughing. I can hear people in the theater because everybody knew. Like that's was one of the additions to the special edition that was not yeah um, necessary. I, it's fun for what it is. Don't get me wrong. <sighs> um, and she asked me after after the movie when we got home. She's like, why? why did George Lucas do that? And I, I was telling, I said, listen, you know, all of the special edition changes were almost like test runs for the Phantom Menace. You know, it was to see if they could do realistic CG characters, um, in prep for Jar Jar. And, um, could they have done that and not added it to the movie just to know that they did? Sure. Absolutely. But, um, but but it was also like, I think it was a test to see how audiences would react. I mean, the first yep. time we saw any of that was in A New Hope when I think there's like a Ronto walks past the screen or a Dewback walks past the screen and you get to see the texturization yeah. of, the, Dewback, of the skin. Yeah. And, you know, it works. It, it worked pretty well. And, you know, to think at the point in 97, they still had another year and a half, almost two years, to perfect what they were going to do with Jar Jar. Because I think they were working on the effects for the Phantom Menace um, within a month of release. It was really cloud It wasn't finalized um, early, you know, or, or, or with a lot of um, leeway. So I, whatever it works for me, it was fun. It, it was a, it was a great time. I do wish it was playing near you just to have that on the, the big screen experience, man. Cause when I, I, like, one of my favorite things of any Star Wars movie is the few moments of silence in between a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away mm. and when the world
1: Star Wars. You can just feel it. You can feel yeah. the vibration. Yeah.
2: And when yeah. the when the when the John Williams music pops, like I threw my arms up. Everybody was like, yes. And people were clapping and they're like, people were throwing babies in the air, dude. It was nuts. It was a Amazing. crazy, crazy time.
1: Amazing. Um,
2: so I, you have a homework assignment. You should watch Return of the Jedi tonight because it's May 4th. And why not?
1: Oh, you know what? I'll do it. I'll do it for you.
2: Awesome. Uh, I, I want um, a, a 50 page uh, report on my desk uh, by May 5th. So
1: I'll tell you what, I will be watching it on my 95 VHS release. though, <clears> to, to throat> avoid throat> any of the, <laughs> you know, it works, it works, you know, but we have the abilities. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
2: I, I, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago um, after that, uh, the 2019 viewings that we did for the entire year, I showed Isaac um, the original ending with the, the Yub Nub and mm-hmm. Sebastian Shaw. And I'm like, cool. this is what I when I was little. Um, just so you that, you know, it, it's a different version and I, you know, I, I showed him lefty neck and <laughs> it's a bop dude. Speaking of bops, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention this up top. So it used to be well, again, a little bit more inside baseball here. So it used to be that Pete handled all the post production on the show. So the intro music was edited in afterwards, now that I'm doing it and I'm lazy and I don't do any editing afterwards, um, I play the intro music live as we're recording. Pete, everybody who's been on the show has talked about how awesome the intro is for this thing. And that's to your credit. Like Alden Diaz was like, yo, that's a bop. Johnny Hoey was like, that song's incredible, dude. So <laughs> I, I, I've thought about like, well, should I change it at some point? I'm like, nope, it's going to stay that way for as long as the show is running um so yeah you got fans Pete. you got fans well out i appreciate there that intro, yeah so. man I,
1: I do appreciate that and yeah I'd, I'd love to see it you know stand as long as it's bopping you know what i'm saying but yeah that was just the, the sound editing aspect of of all of this stuff was just a labor of love i mean i truly enjoyed it every single gonk even when alice and dallas were on uh you know dropping 200 gonks an episode i loved it man it was a labor of love
2: <laughs> you know that was one of the reasons why i decided to drop it because i never knew even for myself like how many i might and i swear on the show i try to keep it to a minimum but you know what i mean we're we're adults and and you know i know oh, yeah. there might be some younger listeners out there but when i look at like the demographics that listen to the show most of them are you know in the same age range and all that kind of stuff so um I try to keep it to a minimum, but sometimes, sometimes it, it happens. Sometimes, you know, it you happens. get excited and we're and words, words are words. So whatever it is, what it is. Now I was looking back here. Um, and I mentioned this a couple of times over the last few weeks or, or months of doing the show, that the numbered episodes of the show, I, I tend to forget what number it is. And I, I was curious and I had to look back in the last episode that you were on. Uh, what number that episode was, and was it one eleven or something like that? One hundred nine. It was one twelve. Wow, was close. By numbered episodes, that's only twenty five episodes. But I feel like I've done like a hundred episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah it,
1: well, I mean, you put year. out all that weekly stuff, the the initial impressions and stuff. You got jam transcriptions. You might as well be up to episode three hundred by now.
2: Yeah, I have no idea uh, how many actual episodes um, are are listed. Uh, altogether, and you know what? I don't care because it's fun. And I don't, you know, the, nu- <laughs> the, the numbered episodes are for these when I have somebody on, and uh, so it, it's weird to think it's only been 25 numbered episodes in a year um, of doing the show. <clears throat> you can, my voice is already a little raspy. I'm like I, I've been talking too damn much for the for the last year.
1: You're doing great, man. Honestly, and I let, let me just give you a compliment as well. As you know, I I don't catch every single episode, but I have definitely been catching a lot of uh like this especially the numbered episodes and the majority of the initial reaction episodes as well. You've been putting out great content, man, and especially, you know, you and I used to talk about how difficult it would be to do episodes that were entirely by yourself from time to time. And you had talked about, you know, the way like what you had learned back in broadcasting school and stuff like that. that to kind of like help you through that and that and it was just like you put on you put out great content and I know like the people listening don't need to be told because they're here because you put on great stuff so I mean like you've been doing a fantastic job and I'm very proud of you my friend you are oh thanks you man. are just raising jam transmissions to the sky man love it thanks man I appreciate
2: that and, and it's weird to think this all started with a text message this all oh, started it with a text message in 2020 um <laughs> <laughs> We're just reminiscing here, listeners. So you're, you're, we're, we're taking you guys on a journey, and oh yeah. <clears throat> so, 2019 celebration happens in Chicago. Okay, now for those of you who were there, you know exactly kind of what the layout is like for Chicago, where McCormick Place is, and what what all that looks like. So let me paint a picture for you. A year goes by. I believe it was May of 2020. Uh, I could be wrong on my dates, but I think it was sometime around May, and. I was working on a construction site a block away from McCormick and I went out to my car for my break and was in the parking lot, which was literally across the street from the entrance to McCormick right there by, um, by the big arena. And I get this text from Pete and all it says is I'm putting a crew together. (laughs) And I, to myself, I'm like, okay. So I responded, Go on. Go on. I remember this text. And at the time, uh, Pete, you're talking about the difficulties of doing a show by yourself. You you were doing it by yourself for um, a few months. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the day that you asked me if I wanted to come on as a partner and co-host for the show. And, um, you know, my initial response in my head was, yeah, of course. But then I said, well, no, hold on. Let me, let me check it over with Cheryl and see if we can figure scheduling and all that. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm tired of you talking to me about it. Talk to Pete about it. <laughs> Go ahead and start the show. And that's how I came on after being a guest on episode. I think it was like 47 or 48 with, um, mm-hmm. with Isaac back in the day. With Isaac, Yeah. And, um, that was a book review for.
1: Was it ooh, master um, and
2: apprentice? No, it wasn't master and apprentice. It was, um. I remember Isaac talked about Pirate's price right? And, that was fun. and you and I talked about, was it black Spire?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's I what think it was. was. Black
2: Spire. Oh my mm-hmm. God, man. It's, so it's funny. Ago. It all
1: blends together. Cause we've talked about so many star Wars books together through the years. <laughs> and I was just like, wait, <laughs> what, what was the first, what was the first? Yeah. yeah I, that I was a, such a fun episode. It. Do you ever go back to that episode and listen to Isaac when he was younger? Just, you know, just for nostalgia
2: sake. I have, and I'm glad I have some of these recordings because now he's been doing some of the quick shots for Broaxium and I'll have like different age points for him going forward. Mm-hmm. To, and I remember my mom telling me years and years ago, she was like, you should just record a, a conversation with him when it long before got getting into podcasting or anything, just to mm-hmm. hear what his voice sounds like when he, you know, when he was smaller. And now I have this record of him at however old he was at the time, maybe, you know, nine or 10 Um and now at 13, 12 and 13, doing these pro-axiom things. And um, it's going to be interesting to go back when he's older, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I'll I'll embarrass him on a date. <laughs> you know what? You should listen to this episode of this podcast he did when he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. and And what's cool is I remember you asked me about, show art for that episode. If I had any pictures or anything, and we, I have this black and white picture that my friend Meredith took, um, at a barbecue when Isaac was maybe nine, eight or nine. I, I forget the exact year. Um, I have that picture framed on our bookshelves in our living room. So I get to see that picture every day, but that was the show art, um, for that episode, this really amazing black and white picture that, that she took of us. Um, it's a little time capsule. Um, to be able to have that kind of stuff. And now here we are, episode one thirty seven, and countless others that, um, you know, I've been, I've been like wanting to do this, you know what I mean? And to have to, you know, to be asked in the first place was, was an honor. And to be given the keys for this thing was, uh, it was, it was a little scary at first, like not knowing how it was going to work out and then, you know, being a little neurotic about listener numbers and things like that, looking at stats. And I had to like, stop doing that. Yeah. You can't Um, look at that
1: stuff. It doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. And you know, I, I love doing it. I, I love talking about this stuff. I love having the guests on everybody that's been on was, you know, a a friend first and you know, those friendships have been kind of forged um, even more so because of the show and just because of other things and circumstances and, I'm going to throw this out there too. When Jerry was here on Friday, I got a phone call, um, about a doctor's visit that I got coming up. Nothing crazy. Just going to go see a chiropractor. And he snapped a picture of me, uh, (laughs) unbeknownst to me. He told me afterwards that he did, which I, I don't really care. But, um, so he'd send it to Alden Diaz and we had just got finished talking about the episode that Alden was on with me when we were talking about the, one way out episode of Andor and talking about um, this Shakespeare connection that uh, that popped in my head. So he, Jerry sends the picture to Alden and I, I really hope they don't mind me telling the story, but whatever, it's going to be out there. So Jerry sends Alden the picture of me, like with my leg crossed as I'm on the phone and Alden's response was, uh, or Jerry said something like that, uh, this man's a thinker. I think Alden said that man's a thinker. And then followed it up with, can you believe he quoted Shakespeare to me while we were talking about Star Wars? (laughs) And like, it just, you know, those kinds of little goofy interactions are like, that's kind of why we do it, you know, to know that you made an impression on people and you, you had some kind of an insight, you know, and, you know, to know that people take the time to listen to the show when it was just you and Josh and then you and me and, and, you know, myself now um, in this episode, that people want to know what it is that we have to say is um, it's its own reward uh, to know that people are coming back um, week after week to listen to us talk about these silly space movies and, and how they um, impacted us. So um, now let's talk about something a little bit more recent as here we are. We're half an hour into this thing. Uh, you had, we, had, we had talked a while ago and kind of was the, the, the genesis of this episode, if you will, Um, which, um, which is a choice of word that was very purposeful on my part (laughs) and you'll understand why in a minute, but you said, I would love to talk about the Mandalorian season three with you and we'll do it as a May 4th episode. And I said, absolutely. So I've tried to stay away from talking about the season as a whole. When I did episode breakdowns, um, Mm. some thought, you know, thoughts came out, you know, here and there, but we haven't, I haven't talked about it. In, de- in any kind of depth, because um, I was waiting for it um, until now. So, first of all, I want to get your impression on the finale episodes, and then we'll talk about the season as a whole. <clears throat> okay. So, um, so let's talk about chapters 23 and 24. I think it was the spies and the return were the last two episodes of the season, if I'm not mistaken. So take me back in time a couple of weeks, Pete.
1: Let me tell you, man,
2: those episodes
1: were gifts to us, man. I tell you what I, I loved, I mean, just as a whole, not just those two episodes, but let me just go ahead and say about just season three in general. I loved it. I loved everything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, what do I say here? I will say that it's not quite what I expected, which is always a great thing for television yeah. because, I mean, you know, we sit here and we, we will sit here and pick apart things and then there's always the speculation and it's always fun when you're when you're right, but it's even more fun when you're wrong. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. kind of what it felt like. Everything like... Eden and I would talk about afterwards. It's just like, well, what do you think is going to happen here? You know, and we didn't re- we didn't get to see Thrawn. Like I was expecting to see Thrawn in season three, for instance, but do I care that none of that stuff happened? No, because I was vastly just so impressed with everything that happened. Um, all the story, uh, the way <laughs> the, the journey of the dark saber, basically uh, I'm obviously assuming everybody's already seen this by now. Um, I was happy with it. I was happy with the way that it changed hands and I'm happy with, with the way that it got crushed in the end too. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just feel really happy about the episode. I like the way that um, the epilogue ended and I'm looking forward to where it's going to go in the future. I mean, it's just, there's so much that if I were writing the show, I wouldn't have come up with a couple of the things that they did that I really enjoyed. And so, yeah, I mean, just Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs up. Show my age.
2: Nice. Nice. Yeah, that, you know, for people that listen to me do the immediate reactions for this and for Bad Batch and Andor and stuff. Just putting this out as kind of a blanket statement. If I come off sounding harsh in those immediate reactions, that's because I have literally have just turned off the episode. And by the time that following weekend rolls around, um, my opinions typically soften. Uh, even on the episodes that maybe don't vibe with me as much. And now <clears throat> looking at the season as a whole, I can see and understand, you know, people saying things that it felt a little disjointed. It felt a little aimless in the beginning, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of that has to be taken into account that we're watching it week to week. And as you're waiting and your, anticip- your anticipation builds, your expectations start to manifest or whatever, Um it's it's worth it to go back and watch these things completed and see how the whole story progresses um and i i remember a lot of people too having the same kind of feelings with um the structure of how rebels uh, unfolded because the the schedule the release schedule for that was pretty erratic you know it wasn't a lot of times it wasn't every week you'd have to wait a little bit and the anticipation left you to formulate some ideas that you know whether or not they happened um could have soured your opinion on the show because you had to wait and i think a lot of that happens with this show now and here we are we're three seasons into this thing the the new car smell has kind of faded away you know it's not the hot you know the new hot show that it was in season one and i have to take that into account when i watch it that this is part of a, a larger story and it's hard sometimes to stay away from the behind-the-scenes kind of drama of these things. You know, you you know, you watch interviews or you read interviews that some of the cast and crew might be a part of. I've tried to stay away from that stuff as of late because I don't want it to sully my opinions. To know that there was some kind of drama behind the scenes or somebody hmm. saying, "Well, did you hear what Dave Filoni said about blah blah blah?" Ultimately, it does that kind of stuff doesn't really matter to me. And I was listening to an episode of four center and Ken Napsok said something that just struck me about the finale uh, and people's opinions on it. And his question was, uh, the questions that we're asking about the show is the show asking those questions or are you asking those questions? Ah. And it it presents a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and they on for center. They always say, you know, engage with the story presented, which is another thing that I've had to learn how to do, especially with the Bad Batch, because that show um, doesn't always sit very well with me. I love the overall story. There's specific episodes that I just I don't want anything to do with. But <clears throat> um, that said, it reframes my perspective on how I feel about the series or the season, I should say. I like the season um, of the three. It's not my favorite, but. I had a lot of fun with season three overall. There's some really, really cool things that have happened overall um, or specifics that have happened um, that, that we'll get into. But um, I enjoy it. Um, not in the same way that I enjoy a show like Andor because the tone is completely different, but totally, I like that. I am hearing people say that this show is almost like a live action Clone Wars, um, mm. especially this season. Um, It has that same kind of like almost anthology vibe sometimes. Um, And it's given us some of the wildest things that we've had in Star Wars since a movie like Return of the Jedi. I mean, who after all of this time of knowing Boba Fett as a character, almost 45 years of this of this person to have flying Mandalorians with flying Imperial troopers battling themselves. One of them knocking out fools with a hammer that doubles as a, that doubles as a talking stick. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's some of the wildest stuff that's happened and it's hard to not get wrapped up in just the excitement. And sometimes hearing people speak and, um, framing their opinions of the show as critical analysis. And I'm not saying that to put anybody down, But sometimes when I hear that, it's like, okay, yeah, we can talk about how the fight choreography looked or if the CG wasn't up to snuff, Um, but that's not the story. And I think sometimes we have to be reminded to take a step back and just look at what the story does. Are there holes in this thing? Absolutely. There's some things that didn't get resolved, but there's there's going to be more seasons of this thing and there's going to be a continuation of the story. Um, So is it disappointing to not have those things happen? Sure. I suppose. And again, opinions are valid. I'm not trying to, to denigrate anybody's thoughts on a thing, but I know for myself, looking back on it now, I've had a lot of fun with the season. I've had a lot of fun watching it with Isaac um, and uh, getting his takes on things. So now let's talk about, this is something that I, I wanted to bring up with you. This season has had some very strong biblical um, undertones. Um, and, it wasn't something that I was keen on until after the the season ended. Um, A lot of people, there was a lot of debate about um, the meaning of the title, the spies, which it came to be, you know, it was um, a reference to, um, you know, Moses sending out the spies to kind of check out the promised land uh, before, you know, to see if everything was okay. So there's that biblical reference, but looking at some of these other titles. Yeah. And I mean, episode one chapter 17 is called the apostate,
0: yeah. the apostate. Um, you've got
2: yep. chapter 19 is called the convert the foundling um, the pirate uh, guns for hire. That's not really a biblical thing, uh, no. but um, <laughs> the spies and then the return as the end of this thing, these are all, if you look at it, there's a lot of this uh, religious kind of um, especially with, you know, the Judeo, you know, Christian kind of mindset. Um, they're there. And this story was very much, Um, a return to the promised land. It was a return to, to Mandalore um, in a symbolic sense. Um, Mm, mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now, knowing for you, uh, I'm going to put this out there, you know, you've gotten yourself very involved with your church, but um, Mm -hmm. is this something that when the realization hits, you know, frames your perspective on the show, maybe in a slightly different way?
1: I wouldn't say that it, does uh for me personally but it is interesting to see it because i'm just kind of looking at it just as the children of the watch and just their culture it was very you know it was i mean it was called you know a cult pretty much but you know it was very religious you actually had what the season started off with ragnars basically it was about to get like mando baptized pretty right. much and you know you had that first episode called the apostate and all that stuff and you know th- my it, it got the wheels turning. Like when I saw that that was the title, I was like, okay, let's, well, who's the apostate? That's what I was trying to figure out um, right from the get go. But, you know, my understanding for that was that apostasy is basically not only do you not believe, but you're trying to change other people's belief. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't just not believe but you're trying to change other people's opinion about that sort of thing mm-hmm. so i was like is is he the apostate because he doesn't seem like he's really he's really just trying to get back into it like he's trying to return back to the fold he's he mm-hmm. he's kind of like a i don't know i don't know if you want to call him a prodigal son if that or whatever but either way um it was very interesting to see how that kind of did have that little framework in the story it was very unexpected um but i think the beautiful aspect about it and to answer, the reason why i said no um i don't know i just viewed it as like just another culture another world um it didn't seem like it was really just the overarching story for me i don't know if that answers your question but what about you did it did, did it kind of like hit some beats
2: for you as you were going you know what not not upfront um it wasn't until the spies episode that it started to kind of frame itself i, I have to point this out right and you're going to hate me for doing this but if, guys if you hear some background noise eden's like trying to very quietly move around and have it not picked up on the mic and i'm i love it <laughs> it's it's like one of my favorite things that's happening right now because i know she's trying um, i see you smiling and, <laughs> and again long time listeners you know who miss eden is she was a part of the show too so um it's totally fine i i don't mind um, and you can hear like little pitter patter of doggy feet occasionally uh, up over there. So if you hear that, that's, that's what's going on, folks. I'm not, yeah, there's, any, there's any been of
1: lots of, uh, lots of dog, <laughs> doggy nail pitter patter through the years. It's, a, it's an unfortunate side effect of, of, uh, of, uh, transmissions. So hey, you know, my apologies, folks.
2: No, 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 no apologies needed because this is real life, this is a conversation about Star Wars within our real life. So I have have no issues with it whatsoever. I don't think anybody listening is going to write me angry. Listen, I'll I'll give you Pete's uh, email address. You can send it uh, directly to him.
1: It Um, wouldn't be the the first angry (laughs) comlink chatter I've ever received. So send it my way. I can take it.
2: Right, right. Okay. So let's get back to the Mandalorian. Um, No, it wasn't something that I was aware of um, in watching it until the season kind of got um, near its end and started when that um, kind of breakdown of the title of the spies started making it, making the rounds, that's when I was like, Oh, and I started to look back at the titles and what was happening in these other episodes <clears throat> and having this kind of um, this like a uh, tale of Exodus story and a reclam- yeah. reclamation of a promised land kind of a thing. And it's you know, it's not a one-to-one, but you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, again, perspectives um, that we can place on the show. And I was raised, you know, I went to Catholic school growing up and things like that. So I'm not completely foreign to these, um, <clears throat> these, uh, story elements, but, uh, at least in a biblical sense, but okay. Now putting all of that aside and what we, you know, what we said for the finale episodes, do you have a singular standout moment of the season that like, Either made you laugh the most, or got you fist pumping, or was really emotional. Like, what? What's a top moment of the season for you?
1: It's a tie between two moments. Okay, two moments. <clears> Hit <throat> me. <clears throat> first time. First time we saw the Mythosaur, like when when he all of a sudden was walking, and then boom, he's like a hundred feet under the water. I, I yeah. still haven't quite figured out if he got like pulled down or if just all of a sudden like best car is just extremely heavy <laughs> in water or something, but it was still cool. Regardless. I'd stop, stop thinking so hard, Petey. Stop trying to make science out of science fiction. <laughs> but right. anyways, here's the thing. Yeah. Bombs dropping in space. Who cares? Right. So anyways, the thing about it is, uh, seeing the mythosaur, I said, Oh, it's a mythosaur. Like I straight up like freaked out. Like I was loud and I just, I literally fist pumped. Um, the second thing, and it is totally tied with uh, Grogu's flashback scene, uh, one when the, the armor was was banging her hammer. Yeah. Or no, it wasn't a hammer. It was it was the actual. It was the machine of forge that was hammering first, and then all right. of a sudden he went back and it says, "Get him to Kelleran. and then you don't see Kelleran yet, and then Eden can attest to this. I said, Kelleran Beck." It was Kelleran Beck. Oh my gosh, guys! It was Kelleran Beck. Oh my gosh, I just can't tell you. Like I'm, I'm just so excited about it right now. I've got chills just thinking about it. Seeing Ahmed Best as Keller and Beck, and it was so cool, man. Like the era was nailed perfectly. Oh, it yeah. was. I mean, they nailed that prequel era style. I mean, the Coruscant was sick. Uh, the Jedi, uh, just their. Ah, Just the way that they were fighting, the way that they were moving, the clones, everything just was just popping, man. It was so cool. But yes, Keller and Beck and the Mythosaur, man, top favorite moments.
2: Listen, those are two solid picks. Because I remember the first time seeing the Mythosaur was like it was one of those. Wait, what? Is that that, that what I think it is? Um, Because in the in the first episode after Ragnar's baptism, uh, air quoting that you know, that the giant thing comes out of the water, you know, and not knowing what it was. And I'm like, are they in Mandalore now? Like, what is that? Like, thinking it might, it might've <laughs> been the mythosaur. Then. This was like the Kaiju season of, of um, the Mandalorian. Cause there was like layer, uh, air, land and sea monsters uh, in the season. But yeah, seeing the mythosaur, the, like the stinger at the end with Grogu um, when he looks down in the water and it's just a mythosaur eye kind of like, almost breaking the fourth wall, kind of almost winking at us. Um, It was a cool little, little nod. Um, If George
1: Lucas was directing, it would have
2: winked. Absolutely. Yeah. It would have had it. Yeah. Um, It would have farted probably too. Yeah.
1: And I mean that with love. (laughs) I'm poking fun because I love it. I I love the man. I love him so much.
2: Yeah. And, and the Keller and Beck moment um, you and I had the same reaction. And for people who listen to the immediate reaction episode, it was the same thing. I was in my car as I do watching these episodes first go around and I hear get him to Kelleran. And when he said, I watched what the subtitles on and I just happened to, I had my head down cause I was writing a note and I heard, and I was like, wait, what? And I never do this on the initial watch though, but I had to scroll it back a couple of seconds and just see mm. if that's what I heard. And <clears throat> sure enough, it was. And then they say it a second time. And then the mm. elevators open, uh, the elevator door opens and there he is. And it was just like in my car. I think it was raining that morning, just like screaming in my, literally like, I was like, like you, I was like, yeah, like, yeah, I didn't believe it. It was the coolest thing, not just because of who the character is. Um, and what he was in the, the Jedi temple, uh, wasn't it the, the game show?
1: A little game uh, show on YouTube, yeah.
2: Yeah, um, but knowing and having been in the room at, 20, at uh, Celebration 2019 when Ahmed came out and got the big standing ovation and stuff, it was like...
1: Yes, oh, chills. A, I just got chills thinking about that too.
2: Yeah, man, such a joyous thing to be a part of, um, you know, by myself in the car. <laughs> <You> know, just <laughs> wiling out, just thinking about, you know, this guy saving this child. And, then, and knowing that Ahmed Best put so much into the character himself. He created um, some of the backstory for Keller and um, as this teacher character, as this mentor, um, you know, kind of stuff like that. So it made sense. It not only was it cool to have him, but it made sense for the story to have him be there as this mentor teacher character who spent a lot of time around um, Padawans and, and, you know, the Younglings and stuff like that. It just made absolute sense. Um. There's gonna be some follow up to that story. Whose uh, whose Nubian ship was that? Was that Jar Jar's? People have said that's the one that he has in uh, in Clone Wars. So you never. I mean,
1: you know, I'm not an expert, but it sure did look like it, didn't it?
2: Yeah, and you know, so there's there's the speculation there that you know maybe he went to Neb They went to Naboo. I mean, oh, that would be know, so cool. Yeah, we don't know oh. if Jar Jar was there during Order sixty six on Coruscant or you know, we, cause, cause the, the, the Nubian guard tells him that the coordinates are already in the ship. Just like, you know, just go. Um, there was already predetermined where he was going to end up. I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, he could go, they could go anywhere, but, um, that's, that might be my, that's kind of my thinking since it was a Nubian guard, uh, and a Nubian ship. I mean, it's, yeah. I don't know. All, don't all know. signs are pointing to that. Um, but, uh, now for myself highlight moments th- those are great but for me um so much happened in this season um in, in the finale the the drop out of the ship when there's a lot just in in the in the finale episode that was just cool to see when they dropped Just drop go ahead
1: and the- admit it man that that seeing and hearing jack black was your favorite moment of all
2: um no it was. <laughs> I it mean, wasn't. I know you're trying to avoid it, but just
1: you know, you don't have to hide. You could just just tell it like it. Is.
2: <laughs> nope that that wasn't it. Oh, peace and love to Jack Black, but that wasn't it. um But like seeing the like when the Fang Fighters drop through uh into atmosphere at like the top of the um the cloud layer, and then all of the interceptors come up right after it was an amazing shot. Um, yes, single shot when when Katan chases the dragon thing, uh, after it takes Ragnar and it's just, uh, you know, her behind it, that one shot of just kind of like the sunset, beautiful. But if there is a single moment that got me the most, both in a fist pumping way and in an emotional way was seeing Zeb in the space bar, oh, uh, yeah. talking to Carson, Te- Ativa Tiva. um, that moment, what people who, who know me, you know, follow me online, know like you guys know how much Rebels means to me because it was the first thing that I watched front to back with Isaac as he was growing up. Mm. It, he had seen the movies, but that was like the first thing that he could claim as his own kind of Star Wars. Um we love Zeb. Steve Bloom is is amazing uh with the voice work that he does. And I'm sitting there watching that scene and just blown away by how cool. Uh, zeb looked the cg yeah. for him and granted he wasn't really moving around a lot um but still the fact that they took the time to make him look as good as he did how seamless he looked um and then hearing the voice the like the earnestness in his voice because knowing zeb had like a lot of silly moments in rebels a lot of carabast and things like that um <clears throat> and then and then watching that scene with isaac uh, we were in Chicago. Um, we were getting ready to go to see 2 So that Thursday night, we watched it at my mom's and he was on the couch and we see him and he's kind of, you know, Zeb's talking and in kind of his low voice. And, you know, Isaac was like, is that? The, no, dad, that's not Zeb, is it? And I was like, just gave him the nod. And he was like, hand on his mouth, like, oh, and I'm like, should I keep it down? Because it was a little late when we were watching it. He was like, quietly like pumping his fist like, Dan, it's sab, it's sab. And I was like, little dude, like, I know that's our Lasada on screen, man. It's my dude. And, uh, it's beautiful. He's never going to forget that.
1: that. That's like, that's like his, his big moment right there. One of his big moments.
2: Yeah. It it was so cool just that you know, and, and a lot of times like I gauge, you know, how, like my reaction to, to some of these things through his eyes. Like I'll watch them on my own, but then I like, I'll see how excited he gets for some of the stuff. Same thing with Kelly right. Beck. He was like, cause we watched those shows you know, we watched the game show um, when those were out in 2020 and uh, you know, we loved them. And he kept on saying, he's like, well, when I go on the show, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And <laughs> own, they never continued it. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that Zeb moment was like, that was a big deal. Um, and then, you know, knowing what we know now about Ahsoka coming and, you know, characters that are going to be in that show, you know, seeing, you know, Hera and Sabine in a little shot of Ezra in the trailer. Uh, and, you know, really them giving us Zeb first was kind of a surprise. You know, we had oh, seen, big time. you know glimpses from the trailer last year um, from Celebration, but uh, and, you know, Chopper being there in, in Rogue One. But... For this to have like your actual first, you know, Rebels character on screen with that of any lasting impact, um, it is a choice. And I'm really glad that they did it. I I loved it. Um, So now, as these things go, there's nothing perfect about um, these Star Wars shows uh, besides Andor, because that's my dude um, for reasons. And do you have any moments that maybe kind of like didn't sit well? Do you have any low moments? Um, any more critical moments? not, you know, not to be negative on the show, but you're just realistically speaking, was there anything that you know you didn't really sit with you?
1: Yeah, or, there was only one moment, only one moment, honestly. And and this will probably come as a surprise to you because I I surprised the heck out of even Eden when I said it. It was in the last episode. When Grogu put up, used the force to make the fire like go around them, I looked at her and I rolled my eyes. Is that not surprising? Because, like, I don't know what it was about it, but I was just like, really? Because here's what was going through my head, right? And I'm I'm thinking about this too much, right? So Axe Woves is like We're coming in hot. And I'm just like, yo, these guys, everybody's literally going to die right now. Like everybody's (laughs) going to die. Like there's no way, like there's no way that they can get out of this. And then like three more minutes go by and they're still facing off with Moff Gideon. And I'm just like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh man, how are they going to get out? Surely they'll find a way. And then that was just like the last thing that I expected to happen. I don't know. And and I, I didn't have expectations, honestly. I don't know why I said it was the last thing I expected, because I was just kind of like riding the wave. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, seeing him do that, I don't know what it was. It almost seemed like it was too big of a thing for him to do. Um, but literally, if I have any complaints at all, it would literally just be that. But did I get over it immediately and just start – yapping about it for the next three days straight being an amazing you know season yeah i totally did uh that's probably the only criticism i can think of um yeah yeah we'll just go ahead and use that one is that surprising to you that i feel
2: that way it is and it isn't um Mm -mm. because it's one of those things that in the moment I, i i get the eye roll Like, you know, it almost seems like Grogu shouldn't be able to do that. We haven't seen a progression of him with the force to be able to do something like that. But then there's also the like, hell yeah moment of it. Yes. You know what I mean? I agree. that was my thinking when I was watching it. And it's one of my favorite things about the episode. As Bo and Din, Jaren and Din Grogu are Love it. Love all it. As, as they're all in this battle with the Praetorians and with Moff Gideon. Every time one of them steps in, it's as the role of a protector. And you think about the George Lucas kind of selfless versus selfish mentality of what the force is. That whole kind of fight was about, was about the other, you know what I mean? Like Bocatan wasn't fighting for herself; she was fighting for Mandalore. You know, um, Dinjarin was was m- moving in actions to protect Grogu or Bo-Katan and Grogu, in essence, to protect his dad and Bocatan. Um, all of their actions were 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 that of protection, as opposed to just striking out. And it was one of those things that like there was a part of me that wanted to see Grogu like use the force and like just crush one of those Praetorian guards. Cause it would have just looked cool, but it's antithetical to what he's learned. Um, you know, did he see Luke crushing the dark troopers? Yes, but we, I mean, we didn't see all, you know, all of what he learned with Luke, but he's like when Bo-Katan tells, um, Din in the spies episode, when he when Grogu stops the fight between Paz and Axe Woves, she says, you know, that's a really amazing thing that you taught him. And he says, I didn't teach him that. Um, he's learned that uh, behavior just from probably multiple fronts. Um, and it shows that he cares and he's willing to do what he needs to do to protect the people that he loves. Um, and then later on, to see the disappointment in Grogu's face when they say, when the armor says that he can't, speak the creed so he can't become um a uh an apprentice uh it puts that that fire moment into perspective too that like he did it because he feels like he belongs um if if that's how you choose to read it so uh, you know i i said this on the children of the watch discord and and uh shout out to those guys alex mentioned it on their on their breakdown of the episode that if there's ever a prolonged storyline with these characters and songs are written within the star Wars timeline that Grogu or this collective of these three, they will be known as Mandalore, the protector, um, as you know, historical reference, you know, how, you know, different Mandalores have different, um, titles for, for their actions. Uh, if that's a title that, you know, Dan or Bo or Grogu, um, is, is given, it just makes all the sense uh, because of the actions now on the critical side of it. I did have somebody point out to me on Twitter that uh, it felt like it took away from Kanan's moment uh, in rebels
1: because mm. he wasn't
2: able to stop that. But you know, Kanan, I hadn't
1: even considered that.
2: Yeah. I i think Kanan, not only was he pushing that fire back, um, yeah. but he was also, he was also pushing everybody else back at the same time. Right. So <clears throat> and Grogu might've just been acting as that moment of like immediate desperation. I have to do everything I can and put, put everything into it. I think Kanan as the adult had more wherewithal to know what was happening, um, where could he have stopped the fire? Yeah, you know, probably. Um, but again, it, it was a choice, um, the the selfless nature of that act um, for Kanan is probably the most resonant thing about it. You know what I mean? If he had done it and just, they had all survived, you could look at it as a different way of like, he didn't want to die. And I mean, who, who would want to, but still it it would almost take away the selfless nature of the act in and of itself. If he didn't die. Um, and you know, Grogu had just that, all of his actions were completely selfless. Um, in that moment. So that's kind of the flip side and that's not to negate your opinion on it by any stretch, but that, that's kind of how I read that whole thing. So
1: I actually like Um, the way that you described it. Uh, just the self-sacrifice and that's, that's kind of the joy of being able to talk about this. Star Wars is best enjoyed with friends because we're sharing perspectives that, that can in turn, shape our own, uh, or others, others perspectives as well, uh, mm-hmm. especially critical ones, you know, and, and that's uh it's a beautiful thing. And I do like that. And I like that the idea of the self-sacrificial nature or not self-sacrificial, but just what was at stake for it could have added to, I don't know, anything of the will of the forest, for instance, you know what I, who knows what's going on there. There's, there's that, that spiritual aspect in all of this. Um, it will be exciting to see, uh, what, what they will sing about Din Grogu in in the Mandalorian song, though. So, I mean, like the the protector, it's beautiful. So here's the question. Now, if you think that... uh, if, if, If the Darksaber hadn't been destroyed on a technicality, would Grogu then be able to hold the Darksaber at that point and be the leader of Mandalore?
2: Because he's the one who ultimately... I don't know. See...
1: Because he saved her life.
2: True. But Moff Gideon died because of. Ac- because, yeah, because of Axe's. You're right. Cra- crashing the ship. So if you want to get into technicality.
1: <laughs> it's Axe's <which>, dark saber. <laughs> um,
2: who knows? Um <laughs>
1: It is just a silly question, obviously, but, you know, it just thinking about things like that is fun. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, it's like the clerks and and the uh, the contractors on the Death Star kind of conversation. Yeah, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. mean anything.
2: <laughs> so now you said that you you like the idea or you're or you, you were fine with the idea of the Darksaber being destroyed in that moment. Um, yeah. Explain. I want to I want to know your your take on this. So I was, first
1: of all, extremely surprised when it happened. Um, Mm -hmm. Same. I mean, yeah, when it happened, I was just like, oh, really? Ooh, that sucks. Uh, Nothing we can do about that now because who knows how to fix lightsabers, you know? Like, are we going to go find Luke Skywalker to fix it? And granted, we don't know how completely destroyed it was. You know what I mean? Like, it could, like, the crystal could still be intact. Who knows? But this this is an ancient weapon anyways, as it is. So it could be, you know, kind of frail. But, um... I'm okay with it because with all the changes that the Mandalorians were going through, what with, you know, Bo-Katan being kind of figured as this person that walked both ways of the Mando to join the two sides of Mandalorians together to make the Mandalor- Man- the Mandalore... You know what I'm trying to say here. But anyways, the thing about it is, it's like, okay, that's all new. We don't need that Darksaber stuff anymore. She uh-huh. doesn't need that. And that was part of it. She was so like in the time when she was on her castle, it wasn't Concordia. Was it Kavala or something like that? Yeah. And she was just kind of sitting there moping all day because she was all bent out of shape because she didn't have the dark saber and didn't know how to get it from Din and was just like, well, I can't beat him in a one-on-one fight. So I can't lead Mandalore because Mandalorians care so much about their trinkets to quote Moff Gideon. Mm-hmm. And so by getting rid of it, you freed them from that crutch in a way, of things that might have kept Mandalorians fragmented. So if anything, in my mind, I feel like with that out of the way, you are strengthening them. That's kind of what, why I was okay with it.
2: Yeah, you know what? Well, I 100% agree with that. Uh, the only kind of criticisms that I've seen about the Darksaber being destroyed is that it wasn't bo choice to do it. Um, you know, Moff Gideon just kind of did it on his own. And I get that. I, I get the thinking that if there was going to be um, a change that, you know, Bo-Katan might've wanted to be the catalyst for that, <clears throat> to throw it away, kind of like how Luke does at the end of Return of the Jedi. But it still doesn't take away the fact that, like Din says in in the spies about, you know, the weapon not mattering, you know, what matters is honor and loyalty and the strength of somebody's character. Um, that, that was all inherent in Bo, whether she had the dark saber or not. And I mean, let's just be realistic that I don't think the dark saber is going anywhere. Um, the crystal that probably, unless, I mean, the only thing I could think of is if in the blast something happened to it, um, because I don't think it was in their, their little force bubble. Um, that would be the only thing that would keep me from, from, Thinking that it could be repaired, but as it is, um, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be repaired. If the hilt is Beskar, the arm mm. could, could fix that. Um, and if oh, good it, point still, if the crystal is still intact, um, it could still be reused. Um, so, I, and, and you know, this is all speculative on our part. Who knows what'll happen for um, season four going forward? So as the, the season ended, you get the Iris out on Grogu. You get um, the Jarin Din homestead there, which, um, I, you know, I kind of liked that it kind of wrapped itself up this way because it sets up an opening for season four. And, I, you know, I know some people say like, well, you know, I kind of just undid everything and we're kind of back to square one. And again, talking with um, Alex from Children of the Watch, we talked about midway through the season, if there was some kind of schism between Bo-Katan and Dinjarin, which didn't happen, but if there was something that separated them, um, how do you see the series going? And all I did for, to him was quote the original um, synopsis that we got for the show as this lone gunslinger making his way through the galaxy, taking his bounties or whatever. Like I kind of think that that's probably how the show will go. It'll go back to that. Um, And the season gave itself enough leeway with him meeting up with Carson Teva at the bar. I just like saying it that way for no reason. Um, (laughs) With him working for the New Republic, collecting these bounties with Imperial Remnant, sets up everything that could potentially lead up to the Filoni movie, um, which whether that ends everything for the Mandoverse or is just kind of a culmination point, And then there's like an epilogue story for each respective series afterwards. I don't know how, how they'll do all of that, but it gives him the, uh, the position within the new Republic to be an adversary to somebody like Thrawn. Um, if he's taking out individuals within uh, the Imperial remnant. Um, but what do you think going into this season four, you said you liked it how season three ended, but where do you, you, I mean, do you think it'll be just that until kind of the bigger stakes are raised or how do you think things are going to go for season four?
1: I think that depends a lot on what happens with Thrawn and, and Sabine and Hera and Ahsoka and all that stuff in the Ahsoka show. I -hmm. think that obviously shows are going to be crossing over. I think that they've been setting that up and it's been clear. It's already been crossing over. Um, I like the fact that they're going to be, kind of just putting him back in a bounty hunter role. Um, Cause at this point you are right back in the lone gunslinger thing. Um, But it's interesting. I didn't really think about like really any crossovers or not crossovers, but like the Dave Filoni film and that the only thing I had really thought of about the future is like far in the future, because in my mind I was just like, so where are the Mandalorians in, you know, like the sequel era timeline at that kind of thing. And I'm just like, you know, With, you know, a Ray movie eventually being a thing, maybe we'll see her and Grogu crossing paths somehow. I know this is like some deep reaching stuff right here, but I don't really know what to say about season four because on one hand, the critics were right. They did kind of say it did kind of bring it back to square one, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think what that's done is it's created a new opportunity for um, a plethora of, of new storytelling opportunities and I'm I'm totally on board for all of it. I I don't I don't have anything. I don't know what to say. All I can really think about at this point is Ahsoka and what we're gonna get from Thrawn. I like the fact that we saw Pergils in season three of Mando, and and how that connection is to why Thrawn is in the shadows for so long. You know what I mean? I like, right. I like all the loose ends. I like the fact that you had captain Pellion, you had Brendel Hux and all those in the, uh, the shadow council and that. I also like the fact that you don't have the solution from it, Carson Tiva seeing Beskar alloy being inside of the, uh, the ship uh, that broke out Moff Gideon. See, at at that point in my mind, I was just like, oh, they're going to frame the Mandalorians and that's how we're going to purge the Mandalorians. That's the route I thought that they were going to go like, okay, Mandalorians broke out Moff Gideon. I think he actually even or or the guy that was talking to Carson on his uh, his his headset is to say, are you saying that? Like, are you saying that Mandalorian set, set him free? I like that these are open-ended opportunities for season four to answer them. I think probably that last one I mentioned might just be dust, dusted under the rug, but for the other ones, I, I'm excited to see where it goes. What, what about you? Like, what where where's season four going in your mind? What sort of possibilities and what would you like to see?
2: Um. I would like to see Grogu using the force a little bit more. Um, that was something that I wanted more for season three. I'm glad they kind of saved it to the end, but there were just some points in the season where I was like, you know, Grogu seems to be a little bit more window dressing this season. He's not really doing a whole lot. Um, you know, he helped Lizzo cheat in her space uh, croquet game with the little bug thing. Um, <laughs> we're using the force. And that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I, yeah, <laughs> <In> the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Whenever you're done saying this, I, I will, I want to, I want to come back to that episode because I threw shade at Jack black, but it was just a joke. And I I, I do want to talk more about that. Right. But yeah. Go on, go on about okay. Gogu and um, the force.
2: I, I, I just going forward, I would like to see him have a little bit more autonomy with his own choices. And we've seen him do some amazing things in these three seasons, but as this um, for lack of a better term arc of the Mandalorian story ends starting a new chapter. Um, I, I need to see something a little bit different. And if that's Grogu using the force more to help or to be a little bit more active. And I know there's limitations with the puppet that they, you know, probably still haven't figured out without going all CG. Um, because I know they want to go practical with the puppet. At least that's how it seems. Um, That's just something that I would like to see going forward. I would like to see a little bit more of maybe Din's um, willingness to have Grogu embrace the force more as setting Grogu up as an individual. And not just you have to adhere to the ways of the Mandalore or the Mandalorians. You're also this other thing. And for him to be able to shape his own identity that way. And that may just be something come more longer term, which we know should happen for him just as he gets older. But I would like to see the seeds of that kind of planted. Um, and as far as Din goes, I, I, so I'm the same way. I don't mind at all that he's back to this place because that's what he knows. Um, he's not a leader. Um, he's kind of a himbo in a lot of ways. When you think about um the episode on Tython with, you know, him asking Grogu something about, uh, something about a Jedi. He was like kind of clueless about, or even the episode when, when, um, they go to the starts of Luke's Academy when he meets Ahsoka and his like space ants are like building the stuff. And then he's like, is this a bench? Like, uh, yeah, dude. (laughs) Like he's kind of adult sometimes, but, I would like to see him vote like vocalize more of that parental role. And again, you know, have him be aware of Grogu's own individualism um, in terms of what it is he's doing as this bounty hunter, as this you know, person who's kind of, you know, seeking out um, the Imperial remnant uh, with uh, with Carson and whoever else is, is involved with all of that. So <clears throat> speculatively, like I don't know what is going to happen with season four, but it seems to me we're at this point now where we are like right on the lip of the funnel where everything's going to start bottlenecking towards whatever the movie story is going to be. However, let's just, for lack of a better phrase, you know, call it the heir to the empire story. How, however, however Thron is going to be involved. Um, these characters have to start coming together um, in ways that build kind of the team um, aspect of them working together. Um, And there also has to be more framing of the galaxy at large. We got a lot of, you know, a lot of really cool looks at the way the new Republic is with their flaws in season three. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten some glimpses of what the Imperial remnant is like and those seeds of the first order going you know back what you know 25 years now to the start of of the force awakens but i'd like to see more of the that imperial side how are they working together because i think symbolically when you look at the way the shadow council was none of them looked the same you know none of them was wearing standard imperial uniforms and yeah part of that is because the imperial seamstresses are all gone you know Um, who knows how that all works but stressing the individual individualism of the imperials is antithetical to what the empire what the empire was true Um, so to see them all look differently it shows that lack of cohesion um, where the you can see any one of them willing to stab the other one in the back in a heartbeat Um, so to maybe see elements of thrones Um, Seventh Fleet kind of bandied together. And again, if there's any um, like porting over of stuff from the Heir to the Empire books, if there's something that's akin to like the Katana Fleet, if there is a Talon card episode or or character uh, who pops up, if it's not Talon card himself, you know, those kinds of things, if they will find their way in, uh, I need to reread those books. It's been a while.
1: Yeah. But um, see Grogu get tangled up with some East Salamiri. You know what I'm saying? It's some good stuff. Give it to me. Give it to who me. Knows? All of it.
2: I mean, th- they can throw in all kinds of wacky stuff um, going forward, <laughs> but, but, I, but I do like that. Din is off on his own with Grogu um, because as I mean, he works as a part of the community, but he's not a leader. Um, that's a role that I, I think he's purposely shied away from um when, Bo comes in. I mean, he gives her the dark saber. He, he's the one who points out the technicality. He could have just pulled that straight out of his ass. And they were like, uh, yeah, he's got a point. Um, <laughs> so uh, for me, it works. Um, I, you know, I, I don't have any problems with him being where he is. So you and I are both, uh, I think uh, of the same mindset with the Mandalorian seasons. We, we both enjoyed it for different reasons. We both, bristle against some things differently. Um, but I do love that, like you said, we get to have these talks about perspective and what works and what doesn't work. So now talking with uh, or about that Filoni movie um, and all of the announcements of, from Celebration a few weeks ago, and this is something that we haven't talked about, um, just I think generally speaking, what is your feelings on the state of Star Wars going forwards from here um, not just in terms of the Mandalorian but what you know of these movies coming and you know what other shows are coming things like that you know what, what, what's kind of your uh, your take on all of that
1: uh, well I'm happy with all the shows that are coming out um, excited about Ahsoka uh, the Acolyte all that stuff is going to be fun I mean Kathleen Kennedy made it sound like it was really exciting from what she saw of, of, uh, that light. And I don't know when it comes to star Wars movies, I, I just, it's, it's wait till you see it to believe it kind of thing, because we've had so many movies announced and canceled and announced and canceled and announced and canceled. And I'm not even going to pretend to understand why I don't actually even really care why that happens, but whatever's happening, it's not working and we're not getting star Wars movies. <laughs> so I don't know what to expect from star Wars movies, but I mean, if we just keep getting sh- shows, they are such great quality and they've got such great budgets and, and everything's just looking so beautiful. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with more star Wars. And you know what? I don't go to the movie that much anyways. I love going to the movies, but at this point I'd rather watch on my couch after a hard day at work. You know what I mean? On my recliner and enjoy an hour of Star Wars every week for eight weeks straight than get a two hour movie once every 700 years. I mean, it's, it's just, it is what it is. I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, the state of Star Wars. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Um, when you talk about the criticisms of, of things, one thing that has changed about me and my fandom is that uh, through the years from back when I was doing the podcast is that I don't use social media at all. I don't Mm. use it at all. So I don't know what these criticisms are. I don't know what any of the uh, backstage grumblings are. I don't know any of the drama about what people are doing in real life outside of their characters. And so that's been kind of fun not knowing. Honestly, it's just kind of that innocence of it has been fantastic. And I don't think I want to know some of it. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, but yeah, Star Wars is looking good to me. I mean, we've got Ahsoka on the way and I love Ahsoka. You know, I've been a longtime mm-hmm. Star Wars fan of, like I said, original trilogy kid, but I've watched literally everything, all of the uh, cartoons, all the Clone Wars and everything. So I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I mean, and and since you asked me that, what is your opinion about it, uh, the state of Star Wars moving forward and the announcements that we got, whether or not they're going to be coming or not or getting canceled. <laughs> you never know.
2: Well, to me, these three announcements seem like the most sure thing that we've had in a while. And not just because they were announced at celebration, but because of who's involved, like Dave Filoni not going anywhere. So that seems like a pretty sure thing. And that's um, great. <clears throat> getting Daisy Ridley involved in a movie tells me that that's pretty far along um, that they felt confident. I mean, do you really think she was going to have breakfast with Kathleen Kennedy for no reason? I mean, come on, man, they they were talking about movies a year and a half ago. Um, So that seems like a pretty sure thing to me. And then the, the James Mangold thing with him coming off of um, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Again, it, these three, like I get the cynicism of thinking like, I'll believe it when I see it. Like it kind of bumps me out a little bit that that's become a lot of uh, people's mentality. But I mean, that's something that Star Wars and Lucasfilm has done to us to be a little bit more skeptical, um, but it still kind of bums me out a little bit to know that that's the attitude, um, for a lot of people. And after celebration, like I was excited, I'm genuinely excited for these movies. Um, hearing some of the talk just in the last few weeks from the director, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting her name, the, the woman who's doing, uh, the new Jedi order movie, um, Somebody's yelling it right now into the void and I'm, I apologize. I can't remember her name, but she did this. There was like this little video that was circulating this past week about what this movie kind of is to her and what it means to have um, symbols of oppression be challenged uh, under the guise of star Wars mm-hmm. and what that could mean in a time of maybe relative peace um, with Jedi master Ray And then, knowing kind of her filmography, the documentaries that she's made are about just that. Um, You know, people who have been um, oppressed in different ways, uh, mainly women, uh, you know, in in the documentaries that she's done. And even with what she did for Miss Marvel, it's a fish out of water story about, you know, a girl who's got these powers um, trying to find her place and having people not really look down on her, you know, for anything, but she's a Muslim girl in. You know, a very Anglo setting. um, That that perspective, to, for me, is what's the most important thing about it. And to have a filmmaker like her be uh, at the helm of this thing—that's what excites me. I don't know. I have no idea what the story is going to be. And there's been some stuff about Damon Lindelof. That, I know you don't know this, like th- that he was asked to leave the movie, and the original story was going to be Ray much older, um, like sixty years past and. Hey, that could have worked too. Um, And, you know, that never meant that there couldn't have been any other stories with Daisy Ridley. But um, overall, I'm just excited about a lot of what's happening with Star Wars. And, you know, as well as listeners know that, like, I'm still reading the comics every week. I'm still reading the books as they come out, you know, and now getting advanced copies of these books to do reviews on and stuff. Um, I'm in it more now than I think I ever was. But, but I've made the conscious choice to step away from like the news cycle aspect of what's happening, because like I said, with people's takes on the Mandalorian, that it shouldn't affect the story that's on the screen. We all know that it's there Um, and it, you know, there might be some relevance to You know, some of these reports or some of the things that people say that, like, you know, tomorrow, Morrison had some stuff to say about season three that, you know, he was supposed to be in it and he never got the call and he was very tongue in cheek. And it was at a convention in Australia um, that he sounded disappointed, but he was very tongue in cheek about how he was expressing that. And if you know Tim and if you've seen him do interviews, that's just kind of how he is. Mm -hmm. Um, But does that hinder how I view the show? No. And I don't think it should. Um,
1: That's good. That's a good, that's a good way to be.
2: Yeah. And like I said, that was something that I had to learn with the Bad Batch because with season one, I mean, that's where we left off when you and I were doing the show together. I think it was the Moochie episode was the last episode that we did. (laughs) Baby Um, Rancor. Yeah. Yeah. Rampage. And um, even then I was like, I was having such a hard time with the show and looking at people's reactions online to it almost made me feel worse about it because I felt like I was missing something that everybody else was getting and it was hindering my enjoyment of it. And I had, and you know, I'm still in the social media spaces. I'm still doing this stuff. I'm still connecting with people, but I had to learn to separate other people's opinions from my own when viewing these things. And a lot of times it can be infectious to have overwhelming positivity for a thing um, or negativity towards a thing but when you like, I felt like I was in the minority for the bad batch and that made me feel even worse about my takes on it because not that I felt wrong about it, but I just felt like, like what am I missing with this thing? And I've said it when I was doing the, the reactions that when that show hits, it's some of the best stuff that's been done in a long time. And I love it. But when it misses for me, I, I I find myself not caring. Um, but one thing you'll never hear me say, and I've heard this from from some people that I consider friends on their shows, that the episodes that they don't like are stupid or that they're pointless and things like that. And like I, I bristle against those kinds of takes because it's a choice to have that kind of output with your opinions, um, even on the things that I don't like. And I, I really hope this comes across with those reactions of the episodes that didn't sit well with me that I, at least I'm putting a little bit more nuance into it instead of just saying, this is the worst thing that I've seen in a long time, or this is dumb. Um, because I don't feel that way. Um, I mentioned this on one of the book reviews I did recently that there's merit to these stories, whether you like them or not, there's always something more to glean from these stories if you're willing to look for it. Um, And that's not to say that everybody needs to look at these shows the same way that I do with the same kind of critical lens. But if you put yourself in a place to want to understand what it is that these storytellers are trying to tell us, um, there can be some real value in that. Um, I I talked with a friend a few months ago who after Andor was like, Yo, the sequel trilogy is—it's like trash to me now because Andor is this great thing. Um, it 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 changed his perspective, and my response to him was, um, "Yeah, but there's still value in those stories, um, even if they now seem lesser than because Andor to you was this elevated storytelling um, thing. The value in those stories still exists because of what." the story tells you not because of how they were made or because of the choices that were made in the stories, but just what the story is in and of itself Ray's journey in those three movies has merit and symbolism, uh, in ways that can still affect you, even if they're not your favorite thing. And I, like, if there's a mission statement for this show, as I've taken it over, um, and you know, this last year that, like, don't my, my, don't let my opinion be the one that sways anybody's, I don't want it to sway anybody else's take on a thing. I want to have people come away with this as just another perspective. Um, and like, like you just did of saying like, I like that, that's your perspective. I like that. That's the way you think about it. I don't agree with it, or I don't maybe see it as a one-to-one, but that's the best thing about the nature of this community of this, you know people who are either in the podcasting space or just listeners um, when we have these kinds of conversations, that it's the perspectives that matter the most because somebody can come at this thing with their own perspective that, you know, the bad bats may have changed their life in a way, or it, oh, yeah. it, it gave them something more personal with like a neurodivergent character like tech um, or that, you know, that's how he's framed or whatever. But those things matter, even if it's not, the thing that attracts me to the story, the value becomes the value is in the perspectives that we, that we frame these stories in for ourselves. So that's like kind of the mission statement as it's become for the show is like, your perspectives matter. And I want to hear them, you know, from time to time. Um, sometimes I don't because I need to wrestle with the shows on my own first before I'm willing to accept other people's. Um, but that's the kind of space that I think you and Josh were creating. First, was to allow people to come in and share their opinions, um, openly and without, um, without any. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, or just without any baggage to it, just to be able to be free with your thoughts on these things, without you know having to feel like there's going to be some kind of gotcha moment afterwards. You know. Yeah. I just talked for a really long time there.
1: No, it's okay. And it's a beautiful thing, man. Um, and and especially like on your initial uh, reaction episodes that I've been listening to, I think there's a big difference between being critical of something and being intentionally hateful of it. And I think that you you are being, it, there's nothing wrong with critiquing something. It's part of your fandom and the way that you, you enjoy it. And those are your initial thoughts that, you know, and, and you say like, yeah, my opinion will soften over the week that I may rewatch that with my son. You know what I mean? But like, and and that will change. But the first thing I want to say about this is from this lens. And that's a beautiful thing. And another thing about, you know, somebody that may not like this or or this part of uh, this sequel trilogy or don't like Bad Batch or whatever. At the end of the day, Star Wars has become so vast and has so much for so many different types of people that Bad Batch could be somebody's first Star Wars. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that could be everything to them. I know that was hard for us, our generation, uh, when people's first Star Wars was the prequels. It, at times, like whenever we would be re- like, I know that you and I, probably wrestled a little bit with a couple of the prequel movies through the years. And that has probably softened over the decades. Oh yeah. Totally. I know it has for me for sure. But, uh, knowing that that the prequels were their first star Wars and now the sequels are our generation's children's first star Wars. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. And it, it's, it's, it's nice to to know that you are still being so welcoming on jam transmissions for people to share their opinions and and i i hope i hope that people still utilize that com link at jamtransmissions.com because that is the beautiful thing about it is is this is where people can share their opinions and get some really i mean i'd like to say this might be presumptive of me but say some intelligent feedback to it. you know what i mean and look at it and not shoot it down and say like oh well let's look at this from this lens and we're probably not going to make fun of you for it. We might, but we probably won't. <laughs> we make fun of each other because it's fun. You know what I mean? We give each yeah. other a hard time, but no, it's a beautiful thing, man. And um, one final thing that I did want to touch on um, as far as being critical of stuff, I made that Jack Black joke before, and I can only assume that uh, that episode probably ruffled some feathers uh, for a lot of people Uh and at first I was just kind of like, oh, it's Jack Black. No, not Jack Black. I, I didn't know who Lizzo was. Uh, but a fun fact about this, though, is that people reached out to me in like the communities that I do kind of hang out with that aren't like predominantly Star Wars fans that said, yo, I heard that Lizzo and Jack Black were in an episode of Mandalorian. I'm going to check that out. You know what? That's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. And Star Wars, it's cameos and things things of all like these other actors coming in. Like, I can't believe we didn't mention Christopher Lloyd being in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For starters, you know, but I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, I want to go ahead and say, uh, touch on in the beginning of this episode, you started to talk about how season three sometimes felt like Clone Wars as an anthology of stories. Now, Mm -hmm. that episode felt like a Clone Wars episode. Oh yeah. To me. Like, Mm-mm. I felt like I was watching Clone Wars at that point, And, you know, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and R2 have just gone to this planet. And, like, here's the loopholes that they're allowed to take their lightsabers on a planet that doesn't allow weapons and all this stuff. And you got the kooky stuff here and there. And, yes, was, was it tacky here and there with, with some of the delivery? In my opinion, yes. But was it still a great episode? And did it have value to the future? That's another loose end right there. Mandalorians on Navarro being recognized by uh, like a sovereign system in the New Republic one day. There, you got good word put in for that. That's future storytelling. That has value. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, even though we make fun of Jack Black for being in that earlier in this episode, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I still, I like the episode. I actually, I genuinely enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. You know, my, my second and third viewing on that episode, again, kind of changed my mind on it. The only thing that I still bristle against with that episode is that. And I said this, I think in my immediate reaction um, for an eight episode, for an eight, for an eight episode season. It seemed kind of odd to have that as episode number six. Like that's to me, that's when it seems like the stakes are kind of ramping up a little bit that maybe if that episode was a little bit earlier in the season, maybe that would have worked for me.
1: I think for sure, um, it's really interesting that you kind of bring that up. Um, Just the pacing of the episode sometimes felt a little odd, especially knowing that when the finale was coming up, I think Katie Sackhoff kind of spoke all of our thoughts at Star Wars Celebration on that stage when she said, I can't believe that there are only two more episodes left of this show because so much is going to happen. And boy, was she right. Um, But yeah, I mean, in the end they nailed it uh, all in all. I think, what was that? The third episode that, uh, that brought back Dr. Pershing donut and, uh, you know, all the cloning stuff and all uh, the thing about that though was interesting. It was a super long episode. Like the first two episodes were like 30, 38 minutes. And then this was like an hour long banger about stuff. And it, it wasn't even relative to anything except for just an offbeat mention by the shadow council about Dr. Pershing. And then I believe what was that lady's name? Ilia Kane or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something along those lines. Um, you know, still being able to kind of infiltrating uh the New Republic as kind of like this kind of sleeper cell kind of thing. I don't know what's really going to go on with that. It's going to be interesting to see her story. I thought she was a really cool character, but in my rewatch of The Mandalorian, I skipped that episode. Why? Because it didn't flow with it. It didn't flow with it. Did I dislike it? No. I thought it was a killer episode. I did not expect her to crank up that mind flare, man. Like that was that was like some good TV right there. But no, like sometimes I can understand people would probably think like the the placement of certain stories is a little odd, but you know what? In my personal opinion it all worked in the end.
2: Yeah, I I agree. One of the things that I'd heard about um that third episode, uh, the convert instead of having it be a single episode, I think this was on Pink Milk, they mentioned it. Um, Instead of that being a single hour-long episode, taking parts of that episode and kind of pepper them into the season as every episode went, as this other kind of story arc, so that by the time the Mind Flayers, you say that the Mind Flayer part of it is in episode six, then episode seven, Gideon pops up, it might've flowed a little bit better. I love it's that episode. I mean, totally. It was very different And you know, I mean, it starts off with, you know, the Bose castle and Calabala being destroyed and all that whole scene with the, um, the TIE fighters and that all, you know, the waters like that the whole dogfight. Mando jumps out of the ship and lands in the <laughs> end. I mean, come on, dude. That was awesome. Um, yes. but yeah, no, I, I, I do get the stuff with, with the, the like the Pershing storyline. And maybe, you know, that episode being a little bit out of place, because that's how I feel about the um, the sixth episode, that it just felt a little, it just felt like the stakes should have been higher for there to be such a, I don't want to say silly episode, because it's not the relevant things happen in it. But I think maybe that should have happened a little bit sooner, and then leave the the Darksaber thing to whatever episode six would have been otherwise, because that seemed to, to fit um, pretty well for me right there. Um, we're going to start wrapping things up here, Pete. We've been talking for quite a while. Um, first and foremost, I have been looking forward to this for a while since we've been behind the scenes, kind of talking about doing it. And one of the places that we have been talking about doing this is on your Twitch channel, uh, where you've been playing some video games. I like to jump in the chat and, uh, do a little bit of trolling, if you know what I mean, friends. Like to throw some uh, some silliness into the chat. So since you're not uh, actively podcasting and you haven't been for a while, um, let everybody know what's going on on your twitch channel and uh, what kind of fun uh, fun and games you're getting into over there.
1: Absolutely, man. So what kind of started out as a hobby? um an opportunity back okay so fast not fast forward rewind back to the last time we talked it started right after we recorded i did want a sense of community again but i didn't want to use any social media i mm-hmm. love playing video games and i had a strong love of uh retro video games i kept all of my gaming systems from when i was a kid and i have like multiple nes's super nintendos all the way up to modern right and i just got i got all of them and i was just like you know what I have a little bit of know-how with audio editing, video editing. I could probably throw together a cool little stream, you know? I started to make more friends on there, and I was just like, okay, this is a beautiful thing. I'm loving it. Lo and behold, I made affiliate. People are paying me to watch video games. You know what I mean? Like, watch me play video games, which is bizarre. But at the same time, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, Eden and I do get together. Eden does it as well. Uh, She's known as Eden Kazi Gray, and I'll give Rick the spelling for that if you do show notes still um a little bit later but i am also on there as pdvx it's just like pd and then vx out of my last name vox um but yeah that's twitch.tv slash p-e-t-e-y-v-x um probably saturdays through tuesdays i will just do it pretty casually i don't have like uh, a set schedule or anything Uh, i do lots of retro i do speed runs of things like streets of rage 2 which has Speedrunning has like just opened my eyes to gaming. Like, you know, like I grew up playing these games, like, okay, I beat this on hard mode. There's nothing more I can get to this game. But then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you put a leaderboard in front of me, my competitive nature comes out. And then suddenly I've put another 40 hours into a game. I've been playing my (laughs) entire life. And I'm just like, okay, this is fun. And meanwhile, it's all about friendship, which is, you know, one of the joys that I got out of podcasting. It's created friendships. I've got a few of you you included Rick and uh, my good buddy, Jeff Kelts, the metal Mando. I oh, yeah. still talk to regularly. Um, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing uh, to med to still talk to him occasionally. And it's just, it's it's all just good vibes, and um, so if if you guys would have come check out a good time, just a little time capsule. Honestly, I, I keep it in the 80s and 90s for the most part. Uh, Saturday nights, I play Lord of the Rings online with my wife Eden, and just come hang out. Like we're super interactive, just like we were whenever we'd have guests on Jam Transmissions. Man, it's just we like to have fun. We're friendly, we're outgoing, and we love making new friends. We love people. Um, so if that sounds interesting to you, please come check me out. I, I'd love to meet your new listeners, Rick, honestly, and I hope, I hope that, uh, you know, some, you got a lot of new listeners as well. I'd, I'd love to meet them.
2: You know, I, I can attest to everything you said about the Twitch channel. The, the few times that I've had the opportunity to jump on and watch and kind of get in the chat and stuff, it gets into some sillies. There's a lot of dang, it's there's, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, um, there's times when I'm looking at these old games, like, I mean, it, it'll it take me back and uh, we have an arcade in our house that has a lot of old games on it um, that we got uh, through means. Um, but we got like, I don't know, 4,000 games built into our arcade here. And one of those games, Isaac and I got into a few months ago. Uh, the, well, the cool thing about the arcade is that it's, it's like it's like a free-to-play thing. So like we can just keep going until we beat it. So we do a lot of like beat-em-ups and side-scrollers and stuff like that. And we got into Battle Toads because yeah. of the legend of how difficult this game is supposed to have been. Um, <laughs> and it is, right? But oh, yeah. But since we could just end, endlessly continue it, you know what I mean? We, ended up, we beat the game and it was a lot of fun. And we discovered last year that there was a store near us, uh, the name of which I'm forgetting right now, that they have a lot of, excuse me, Isaac? Game Pawn, Isaac yelled at me from the other room and told me that. <laughs> Here in uh, in in Yps- Ypsilanti, Michigan, that has a lot of um, older game cartridges and stuff like that and uh, old systems and, you know, you name it, it's there. You know, NES stuff and, it, yeah, it, just, it goes all the way back. Anyway, so uh, Pete had mentioned to me want, looking for Battletoads 2 um, and I happened to find a copy and I had to send it out to you for your birthday and I'm glad it made it. And I've been watching you play it a little bit. And there's a little part of me that is like the uh, snidely whiplash uh, villain twirling his mustache like, Peter's suffering while he plays this difficult game. And (laughs) because I know what it's like to play some of those old games and get frustrated. Um, But it's been fun for me because I'm not playing it. I'm watching you play it. so that that's been some great fun for me.
1: I do appreciate that man. Thank you very much. Uh yeah, I've actually got the cartridge right here uh, my Super Nintendo's right next to me cuz I'm I'm setting up my my stream setup. But yeah, Battletoads and Battle Maniacs on the Super Nintendo was an incredible gift and I I just thank you so much my friend. I I do appreciate that. And yes, it is so hard. Like the original ba- it's harder than the original Battletoads. Like the the uh margin of error is just so small like you cannot make a mistake so i i occasionally on difficult games usually when i'm speed running streets of rage 2 i'll wear like a heart rate monitor just to show like <laughs> it's going into yellow and red and i'm just like casually playing battle toads and i'm like it's like going in the red man i'm just like i'm about to take this positivity tag off of here man i'm sick of this this game is just pissing me off but no it's it's really good i we have a lot of fun with that kind of stuff uh yeah i do that i i put up highlights on the youtube channel and stuff too so i'll I'll be sure to get all that to rick if that kind of stuff interests you and especially like any old friends that um, i may have lost contact with by not being on social media if that was your only way because i know i had a lot of great international friends um as well um that i do miss and i do think of very often but yeah, I mean, guys, if if you remember me from back in the day, you want to come say hello, we can still talk about Star Wars. There's no rules. We're just, we're just hanging out. So I would love it if uh some of you guys want to come hang out with me. And I I always tell people, come check out Jam Transmissions. Cause Rick, I'll say it. I said it before and I'll say it again. You are doing a a stellar job. I'm very proud of you, man. And it's just beautiful to see just how you're doing with it. And I'm um, I'm so glad we got to hang out and talk today. It's uh uh, you've you've been able to look at me. I've been
2: cheesing and smiling the whole time.
1: I, I, lo- <laughs> I love you like my brother. It, you are my brother,
2: oh, likewise, man. likewise. And I, I really appreciate you saying that every time I've jumped in the stream, you give the show a shout out, and you know, i it's probably contributed to some of the numbers um, for the show. i I don't really know. It. i I get feedback from time to time. It's not a ton, but um i do I do appreciate all of that. and uh, and friends, listeners go check out Pete's uh, Twitch channel. It is twitch.tv forward slash PDVX. Um, lots of retro gaming on there. It's a lot of silliness. And it's fun to see Pete get frustrated from time to time because right now he's a, he's a happy man. So to see him turn a little red in the face is yeah. uh, is pretty fun for me. So, all right. So let's, uh, let's start to wrap this thing up. Again, Pete, thank you so much for making this May the 4th extra special. I hope people that are listening to this um, can just feel the amount of joy that I have um, talking to Pete again. It's been a long time since we've been able to do this on the mics. But we talk from time to time anyway, with phone calls and texts and all that fun stuff, and on the Twitch. So it's not like we don't talk to each other. But I'm glad we got to do this and have uh, longtime listeners catch up with you and to introduce you to some of the newer listeners as uh, one of the founders of the show and. You know, for my part and, you know, changes that I have made, you know, to the show or, you know, just kind of my own vibe, this show would not be what it is without the work that you and Josh put into this thing and Eden um, early on. Um So I am forever grateful for being part of the Jam Transmissions family. And uh, like you said, you and my space brother, I love you. I love Eden. I love you. All your little creatures and animals that are running around there. The little pitter patter of those feet. Um, <laughs> it's all good times. So. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for us, guys, for episode 137. We've been going for almost two hours here. Uh, it's been a great time. I hope this episode um, just lifts people's moods from May 4th. I hope everybody had a good time watching Star Wars Visions today and the uh, Young Jedi Adventures on the YouTubes and stuff, because those are dropping on May the 4th. Um, we're recording this a little bit early, guys. A little inside baseball. Um, we haven't seen them <laughs> yet. So... Um yeah, but that's gonna do it. I like I don't want it to end, but we gotta wrap it up because I'm getting hungry, man. I gotta go eat something. I feel so, you, brother. Yeah, uh Pete, thank you so much uh for, for giving me some of your time today. And um I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take the reins to close it up, my friend.
1: All right, man. Well, it's been my pleasure, of course, brother. Uh, let's do it again next year. Let's make this a May the 4th thing if you're down. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll pencil next you week. in. I can pencil you in for right, 365. Okay. <laughs> no, I love it, man. This has been, this has been a blast. But Rick, we're going to close this out here. My dude, my brother, may the force be with you.
2: Always.